Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Deland Small Town Big Heart. I'm your podcast host and producer, Kaylee Yaconis McCumber, realtor with Adams Cameron and Company Realtors and connector of people and places. And I'm your podcast co-host, Shannon Dunhalfhill, history researcher, story writer, and an employee of the Volusia County government. In our last episode, Shannon and I took a little ghost tour of our own through downtown Deland and the Oakdale Cemetery. We also heard from some of our locals about their personal encounters with the paranormal. There were so many stories that we didn't have enough time to share them all, and we're still hearing about town murders, hauntings, and unexplainable phenomena. We took a little break to spend the holidays and Christmas focusing on our families, but we're back to see what 2021 has in store for us all. We're praying it's full of endless blessings and good fortune. And speaking of good fortune, in this episode, we want to share the story of a Chinese immigrant by the name of Lu Gim Gong. I know I've gotten the answer to this, but I still ask it all the time. How come the Lu Gim Gong orange is no more? And the answer is that it's there. It's just it has been pollinated or cross pollinated so much that now it's considered just the Valencia orange. So I'm here with four orange experts. I'm gonna get their names and their grades. Hi, my name is Billy and I'm in grade five. My name is Maya and I'm in fifth grade. Hi, I'm Avery and I'm in third grade. Hi, I'm Sonia, I'm in first grade. All right, so does anybody know who Lou Gim Gong is? No, I do. I got two hands raised. Me no, and Billy. No. Well, I, I, I've heard of him before, and I know who he is. We had to read a, a passage about we him. We did. And I just kind of forgot. You forgot? Yeah, What, I know who what he do is. you know about him? Well, he owned... Uh, I one thing. Like, he's a person. He's a person, yes. <laughs> he owned, like, an orange... He owned a bunch of orange trees, and um, he found out a way for the trees not to freeze up in the winter. Exactly right. So we're not sure if his orange is still around anymore, but this is the closest thing to it, the Valencia. Huh. So I'm going to have you guys try first. This one's called the Noble Juicy Crunch Tangerine. All Everybody right. grab one. Oh, this, this juicy, looks like a Dorito. So. It, looks, <laughs> it looks quite dark, different from a Dorito. Valencia or a navel orange. Oh god, I'm trying to get this. Box. The difference is, oh yeah, they are juicy. There's very, tons very. of juice in the bottom. Yeah. Okay, everybody take a bite. Hey. Here, Three, can I have two. one? It's okay if you drop it. I'll clean it. What does it taste like? Ooh, it's sweet. It is very, very juicy. Are they good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they taste pretty good. Very you want to try one yourself? Very sweet. I'll try one. Personally, oh. I didn't. I didn't get any um, seeds, so that's good. Um. These are very juicy, and they do have the crunch, hence their name, and noble. No, they are very nobly juicy, I can ah, tell you that I for can't sure. Rip it. So, and, in conclusion, the noble juicy crunch tangerine is a good orange, yep. or tangerine. Whatever. You can have more after it, I try the next good. one. Okay. 
So this next one, Sandy, can re you read what that says? Navel. 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 Everybody grab one? Yeah. Okay. They're quite common in most places. So this is the navel. Right, okay, everybody one. try the navel. <gasps> Ooh. This one's not gross. <laughs> it is a little bit more sour. It has a soft texture. Yes, it's very soft. And it peels quite evenly off of the peel. And it's and not larger. It is quite yeah, I it is not It's a bigger orange. It's a bigger orange and, and it's, I ate it it's less juicy. Yeah. It's yeah, it's juicy. a lot less juicy. But you think it's, it's not it's not teeth. dry. Yeah, sometimes. It's pretty good. And it, it's, it's sweet, it, a little bit of sour. It's kind of like a normal orange. It kind of tastes Can like a normal yeah, orange. Yeah, because these are these Can are very popular oranges. Yeah. Tangerines are typically sweeter yeah. and darker. Mm -hmm. These oranges okay. are super good. Super good? Agreed. Yep. All right, and the next one, can you read that? Valencia. Valencia. Take one. These are also quite common, but they are smaller. They are a lot smaller. Yeah. So they're still juicy. Little. They, they kind of remind me they of They still look pretty juicy. They look softer. They are pretty... Yeah, they, they feel pretty soft. Oh. And they're smaller. So let's take a bite. They're super juicy. These are pretty juicy. And way softer to bite. Okay, so... Yeah, these are super soft First of all, these are... Um, the flesh is very soft. Um, and it didn't really peel off the... The, the peel, peel and the rind, they didn't really peel off very good, but it is pretty sweet. Just a bit of sour aftertaste, but in conclusion, the Valencia orange is pretty darn good. In a few of the publishings we read, the name Lu is actually pronounced Louis. In the Chinese culture, the last name is presented first. So his name is Gim Gong, but he was always referred to as Louie. Either way, the world will forever know him as the Citrus Wizard. And for good reason. Before we get into that, we want to share our version of the story of how this extraordinary young boy became the great legend that we know him today. Gim Gong, or Louie, was born in 1860 just outside of Canton, China, in a small village called Longon. He spent his early years tending to his mother's gardens with her and learning how to cross-pollinate. His uncle had been the talk of the village as he traveled to the faraway land of America to work, and he sent money back home to the family. Louis looked up to his uncle and wanted to be just like him. He came to California during the gold mining days to work in a shoe factory, his uncle paid his passage for him when he was just 12 years old to come. The year was 1872. At that time, our economy was slipping into a depression. Louis' hours and wages were cut drastically. There were companies all across America going on strike. To combat the strikers, the Calvin T. Sampson Shoe Factory in North Adams, Massachusetts, brought Chinese immigrants from California to their company to continue the work that needed to be done. As you can imagine, this upset the American people, and unfortunately, the Chinese were not welcomed by all. However, there was a small group of volunteers who took it upon themselves to teach the immigrants the English language and Christianity. One Christian woman in particular, named Frances Amelia Burlingame, otherwise known as Fanny, 
took to Louis. Having a love for math and botany herself, she was fascinated with his knowledge of cross-pollination of plants. They spent many years in the Burlingames, Massachusetts home, where Fanny's father was a wealthy man with great social status. When Fanny's father suffered a stroke, Louis cared for him until he passed away. In 1886, just after Mr. Burlingame passed, Louis fell ill of consumption, or tuberculosis as we know of the disease today. Antibiotics were not yet invented, so the doctor gave Louis about six months to live. In an effort to save his life, Fanny sent Louis back to his family in Longan, China, hoping that the warmer weather would cure him. Fortunately for him, the combination of the warm sun and herbal remedies nursed him back to health. While living back in China, his family and friends began to ostracize him because he had cut his long braid, known as a queue in China, um, and he had also become a Christian man, and they thought he was possessed by the white ghosts, as they called Americans. Louis dreamed of going back to America because he no longer seemed to fit in with his family and friends at home. So he reached out to the one person he had a strong attachment to, Mother Fanny. At this time... The laws in America had changed so that immigrants could no longer take up all of the American jobs. The only way Louis could come back was under the disguise of a merchant. To look the part, Mother Fanny sent him enough money to buy a chest to sell in America and enough money for the journey back home. But this time, home was in DeLand, Florida. While him and Fanny were devising this plan, his family in China had purchased a bride-to-be from another Chinese family to marry him. It was an effort to bring honor to the family and to keep him there. But what his family wanted and what he wanted for himself were not the same things. On his wedding day, Louis fled and carried out the plan that he and Fanny created. It took two months by ship to cross the ocean and arrive back to the United States. Louis took a train to Sanford, Florida, where Fanny's sister, Cynthia, and brother-in-law, Major William Dumville, picked him up from the train station in Sanford and brought him to the summer home the family built in DeLand. At this time in 1887, Henry DeLand was promoting land ownership in his new town. He encouraged people to buy property and promised that orange groves were the wave of the future. To the northerners, DeLand was becoming a place of high stature. Only the wealthiest people would spend their summers down there in sunny Florida, including the owner, Calvin T. Sampson, of the shoe factory, where Louie had worked in Massachusetts. Lou Kim Gong was not really accepted in the town of DeLand because the people judged him too harshly on the color of his skin. He was different from them. But Mother Fanny kept him under her wing. She applied for him to be a U.S. citizen, and she brought him to the First Baptist Church here in DeLand to attend services. Louis worked for years in Fanny's Orange Groves, located around the area of Ridgewood Avenue between Plymouth and Kentucky on the west side of DeLand. He felt the weather was changing and that Central Florida area would experience colder winter and there would be freezes that would kill the citrus groves. But nobody in DeLand believed him. It was around this time Louis created an orange from a Hearts Late Valencia and a Mediterranean sweet tree. This new breed was hardy enough to survive the winter freezes and heavy rains in Florida's subtropical climate. They would even stay on the tree ready to eat for up to three years. People referred to this as the Lu Gim Gong Orange. He worked quickly as he knew the weather would be getting colder as more timber was harvested for construction. In the winters of 1894 and 1895, 
The big freeze destroyed 95% of citrus groves in Florida, including many of Louis's trees. But the crossbred seedlings survived. Glen St. Mary Nurseries, located west of Jacksonville, marketed the popular orange for Louis, and word traveled fast to citrus growers around the country. He was awarded the Wilder Silver Medal by the American Pomological Society, but Glen St. Mary Nurseries took credit for the medal. You can actually see this medal on display at the West Volusia Historical Society in DeLand. Mother Fanny became ill in the early 1900s, and a 20-year-old girl from Pearson named Leggett Hagstrom came to stay in Fanny's home and care for her. Leggett's family were immigrants as well from Sweden. Leggett and Louis grew close, and she became one of Louis's closest companions. In the summertime, Louis, Leggett, and Fanny would travel back up north to Massachusetts, where the Burlingame home and the cooler weather were. In 1903, Fanny died without a will, so her property was deeded to her two sisters. Louis and Leggett escorted her body back to her hometown of North Adams, Massachusetts, to be buried. It was there that Louis asked her sisters to deed him the Deland home and the groves. After all, Fanny had cared for him for 30 years, and 17 of those years were spent living in Deland and tending to her groves. The sisters agreed, and Louis came back home, where he was now the new owner of the property. To show their gratitude, the sisters also gave him about $10,000 in back pay for his years of labor. Every year, he sent fresh-grown Cape Jasmine flowers to the sisters to place on Mother Fanny's grave. This next chapter in Louis Gimgong's life grew a bit somber. Not only was he sad about the loss of Mother Fanny, but his family back in China would not respond to his letters, and the people of Delan began to treat him poorly. Racism was strong and worsened when the townspeople learned that Louis was a landowner with money in his pocket. The Swedish Hagstrom family judged him harshly by his color as well. He had asked for Leggett's hand in marriage, and her father disapproved. He stopped going to church because he felt unwelcomed, but that did not stop his Christian faith. He built a prayer garden in his groves that thousands of people from all around the world began to visit. Aside from his groves in a horticultural haven, Louis's companions consisted of a rooster named March and two horses, Fanny and Baby. As you can imagine, he became an introvert and recoiled away from the public eye. He spent the rest of his life tending to his fruit. As mentioned before, Louis had no financial management experience, and as such, he poorly mishandled his money. There had been an instance when some of his supporters chipped in to help him keep the groves as he neared bankruptcy. At the time of his death in 1925, Louis was a poor, lonely man that chose to only eat from his own gardens. Although the last part of his life was lonely, hundreds of people from all over the world came to Delan to celebrate his life at his funeral. Some of them went through his belongings, and a box of uncashed checks were discovered. One would assume that Louis did not know how to cash the checks. Or maybe he felt so ousted by the community that he didn't even want to go to the bank to do so. Louis Gimgong is famous for his accomplishments in the citrus industry by creating the juicy and freeze-resistant Valencia Orange that we still have today. He is praised for a long list, though, of other successful fruits, plants, and trees, such as camellias, magnolias, jasmine, hollies, honeysuckle, orange blossoms, salmon raspberry, late-ripening apple and peach trees, the cherry currant, clustering tomato plants, and a grapefruit tree that had fruit as big as 21 inches in diameter. He even made crystallized candy and grapefruit pickles from the skins of fruits. 
A plaster-type death mask was made by Mr. George Etienne Gaynor in 1925, and you can see this on display at the West Volusia Historical Society Conrad Research Center here in DeLand. So the quote goes, no one should live in this world for himself alone, but to do good for those who come after him. That quote caught our attention because, you know, they always say, leave the world better than you found it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I guess it wasn't until end of 2020, everybody was ready to be for 2020 to be over. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, 2021. So we decided to do um, something positive with the community Mm -hmm. and but incorporate this story into it. Right. And then it became more about him. Yeah. There's little breadcrumbs of Lou Gim gone around town. Like we were doing the episode about the hauntings of Delane. We went through the cemetery and we came across this grave and it's such a huge cemetery. Yeah. You know, and it had oranges on it. Mm -hmm. So people are still leaving him. You mean the, the gravestone? His gravestone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, people are leaving coins, which um, a lot to a lot of people, including myself, it means to have wealth in the afterlife, um, which is kind of funny. Not funny, but, you know, because he didn't have wealth in life. So hopefully he's very wealthy at, in the afterlife. And also oranges because, you know, I don't That's know. people's gift back to yeah. him, thanking him for the oranges he created. Mm-hmm. And then there was um, there's a new painting in the Artisan Alley of him with his rooster named March. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, wait a second. I know I saw that painting somewhere before because it's new there. Yeah. But it used to be on the side of the little block B Realty building. Mm -hmm. And I guess somebody had backed into it. Yeah. Either way, the mural was destroyed. But instead of, you know, rebuilding and um, doing the mural in the same place, they moved it and repainted it over in Artisan Alley where it's more popular and more people can see it and there's more exposure. And then hopefully people will look at it and say, who's that? And then, you know what I mean? Like it's it's another way that we can promote what he did or um, remind people of what he did. Deland honoring him finally. Yes. Like once he passed in 2000, or I'm sorry, in 1925, there was people that were trying to get sculptures and things made then. Like there's articles that, Mm -hmm. you know, they 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 were trying to to raise money, but because of the economy. Yeah, there was a depression. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of gotten forgot about. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Is it 1930? So five years after he died, somebody came along and saw that he had an unmarked grave and they had to raise money just to put a small... I'm not sure what the year was, but yeah, they, it was another um, fan of his, I guess, that came and once he saw the grave and saw that there was no marker, he was furious, went back to New York. He was from New York. I remember that part and um, raised money with the Historical Society in New York to put this grave marker on his grave um and then later on fast forward to the 90s i want to say that was when they made the the tombstone even larger and with gold trim and to say uh the citrus wizard or um 
whatever it says to make it even bigger now today, because I guess as time goes by and, you know, you start to reflect on what has happened in the past and what has helped our economy in Florida and Deland and why, why we're here. We have him to thank for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it wasn't until 1999, 1998, 1999, they started petitioning again for donations to create the gazebo and to finish the, the, the bus sculpted bronze bus that they had, Wanted to do, like, I think in 1940 there was letters about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they picked it up and just never completed it until recently. Yeah. One common thing we hear from locals all the time about this town is that it has a sense of community and the downtown area remains the heartbeat of DeLand. We do our best to preserve and celebrate our history while also giving thanks and honoring those who have come before us. Here's a few interviews from some members of our community. So, um, what was your name and what do you do? I'm Wayne Carter. I'm the executive director of Main Street Deland Association. Uh, what's your position at the Main Street Association and how long have you worked here? I'm the executive director of Main Street, uh, the Land Association, and I've been here uh, about seven and a half years. What accomplishments are you most proud of? We've really worked hard to try to bring our, our businesses up to the uh, 21st century uh, and staying ahead of technology as best we can. Uh, but, you know, we won the Great American Main Street Award in 2017, so that was a lot of fun. And that's... Yeah. That, I got it. Yeah. I know, I did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it really you know, brought excitement to the town. Yeah, it did. I know people that have said that like when they're feeling down, they just drive through town just as a pick-me-up, like mm-hmm. to feel better. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. you can't say anything better about a town than that. So that, that's a great compliment to hear. Um, what are your personal favorite memories of the land? Do you have any? Probably... One of my favorite memories is I'd been doing Main Street for about eight years before I came to Deland. And my first event was Tropical Nights. Well, in the middle of July, it's hot and we're going to get the afternoon thunderstorms. So the first event was Tropical Nights and it poured rain. After, after, it's tropical, it's tropical it, it, it started at, you know, I don't know, 6 o'clock. By 6.30, we've got a great crowd. By 6.45, it's morning. So, what impressed me so much is that over in Eustace, where I was before, if it was rain, people say, oh, I'm not coming. In the land, they just brought their umbrellas yeah. and, and showed up, you know, and so it really kind of, at that time, I knew that the land was going to be a little different than what I experienced before. We adapt and play in the rain, right? Yeah. 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 What's everybody's favorite memory of Deland? Well, personally, um, my favorite memory in Deland was probably when I first moved here about three years ago. We just had like an entire family day. We went around downtown Deland and just hung out, we got ice cream, we went up to the big parking garage and hang out, hung out there. Um, yeah, we, our entire, well, our whole family just went to 
the well downtown to land yeah. and yeah that was probably my favorite day okay what about you Avery well my one of my favorite many memories are what we would do occasionally we would usually me and my brother and my sister and my mom we would go out and the land because the land is a very pretty place and there's a lot of pretty places you can take pictures like family pictures and we would always do that and we would go on the top of the garage and just take pictures and have fun what's your favorite ice cream shop uh yeah Berryville. Berryville? Yeah. yeah. A good one. We like Pat and Tony's. Yeah. Pat and Tony's has chocolate, ice cream. Sonny, what's your favorite memory of Deland? My favorite memory of Deland is walking my dog downtown Deland and seeing all my family members. Okay, so for our interview, what is your name? Deborah McShane. First question, were you born here or moved here? And if you moved here, from where? I moved here from Sandpoint, Idaho, which is a little ski town up by the Canadian border. And ironically, it's very, very much like Deland, except for instead of palm trees, we have uh, cedar trees, which we actually also have here, but alpine versus sort of uh, semi-tropical as we are here. But it's a town that was about 100 years old, founded in the same time period as Deland. And how long ago did you move here? I moved here in 2013, okay. and it was the year that I retired from 34 years of teaching. Awesome. And I moved here because of a family connection. And what's that? Well, my family connection is my brother-in-law, James Allen Dater, and Jim grew up. His mother is Kathleen Johnson, Kathleen Allen Johnson. And I'm living in the James Augusta James Augustus Allen House on Minnesota Street, and it's actually in the family trust, and they had asked me about 20 years ago when I was going to retire, would I be interested in coming and taking over the house? And so even though I loved the Northwest and I loved my little town, I was ready for more sunshine, and I'd visited it here a couple of times. So I decided that it would be a great place to be. I bet that house has a lot of stories too. It's great, great <laughs> stories. So do you work in or around the downtown area? And if so, what do you do? Right now, uh, I am the current president of the West Volusia Historical Society, and I've been working with them since I first came to DeLand. Worked primarily as a reenactor for them, and then I worked as a vice president and membership chair. And this year, Times are changing and I'm moving into uh, the president's role. Awesome. The other thing that I'm really active in is I work with the Museum of Art DeLand. And when I first came to town, I started becoming involved with their guild, their support group. And so I'm still really active with them. I was the president of that for a couple of years and worked with their uh, major fundraisers, the wearable art shows that we had. Oh, yeah. They had yeah. a big event last yeah. Well, before all this, I guess it was a year and a half ago, yeah. and I saw all the costumes and oh, everything. Yeah, that was exciting. Really beautiful. Why do you love Deland? I love Deland because it is an authentic town, and I love the historical setting of it and the fact that the people here revere the heritage of the town. 
and I think it's it's decent as things grow to the outside, but I think it's a lovely thing that we're able to have the kind of uh, integrity of Main Street, downtown, the historic neighborhoods. And a thing that I really love about it is that the old timers uh, are very welcoming also to new people. Yeah. And that the town seems to be really quite balanced and welcoming. Is there something that keeps you coming back here? I would say the thing that keeps me coming back here is the sense of community. Say, I just moved here in 13, and yet I've been able to become a part of the community. As I say, the, it seems like there are the open, welcoming arms. I got involved when I first came here with the Historical Society and the museum, also with shoestring theater out in Lake Helen and I've also done some work with the Athens Theater. My background is in teaching and English and drama. So it's been wonderful and I'm going to say also just the makeup of the community yeah. here of the artists and the theater people. Um, I always say culturally diverse. Culturally diverse for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what is your favorite memory or memories of Deland? And if you have more than one, feel free to share. I'm one. going to say my favorite memory of Deland was probably in 2014 because I only live a block down from Woodland Boulevard. The first dog parade that I was able to attend and it was just so full of life and community spirit and everybody being out there and my dogs and I sat and watched it and then since that time we have been involved uh, with the historical society and with the museum but it's just something that I think it shows the the humanity of our town and the humor and the sort of sense of the collective collectiveness of the community so yeah i think the dog parade is my favorite so the west Volusia historical society what makes that great in deland the thing that i think we're so lucky with the historical society we have a great executive director sarah thorncroft her her training is uh, having a master's in museum curating and uh, She's been really, really good as far as helping to organize our board and all our different committees uh, to embrace the whole of the county and to, because we have Enterprise, Pearson, Seville, Lake Helen, everywhere. And then all the angles of Deland, not just the historic district, but of trying to expand our uh, surveying of everything that's here in our county. Hi, my name is Wallace Bailey. I was born in Jacksonville, but I moved to DeLand when I was two, uh, over 47 years ago. I own and operate Gator Family Jiu-Jitsu downtown DeLand, and I love DeLand because I call it my hometown, and it's just a great community. As always, we love to give credit where credit is due. Thank you to Karen, Stan, and Mary Lou of the West Volusia Historical Society for spending some time with us, allowing us to explore the different articles, letters, and photos of Lou Gim Gong's life. And for the book, The Gift of the Unicorn by Virginia Aronson. A very special thanks goes out to our interviewees, Wayne Carter of the Main Street Association, Woodward Avenue Elementary students Billy and Avery, Maya and Sonia, 
Deborah McShane of the West Volusia Historical Society, and Wallace Bailey of the Gator Family Jiu-Jitsu. Thank you to Dustin Seymour for allowing us to use some of his original music in our podcast. Last but certainly never least, we want to thank our listeners. Kaylee and I love the feedback and interviews you've been sending in. Don't forget to like our Facebook and Instagram pages at Deland Small Town Big Heart. Keep in mind, you can always send us your stories, answer interview questions, or simply say hello.